Isn't it a great morning? Some of you are not sure about that. Isn't it great? Uh, so, so what makes it great for you? Jesus, the sunshine. It's pretty nice out there. It's not raining, right? Uh, that makes it kind of nice. We hear birds singing. We see flowers popping. It's great, right? The word great is used sometimes in our, in our life as like, hey, let's be great. We want our kids to do great on the SAT, right? We want that because that might mean the difference between getting into college or not or, or uh, funding. We want our kids to do great when they play AYSO or young soccer, right? We want them to go in the right direction, not score for the other. T- we don't want them to be pounding on someone. We want them to be great. We want our meal that we prepared to turn out great. And we have these concepts of what great means, right? What is great? But sometimes when we look at the kingdom of heaven and Jesus' teaching, our concept of great is turned upside down. It's just completely different than what we thought. Today, there's scripture text which challenges us. Maybe the challenge isn't the right word. It does challenge us. But it invites us to understand and to go after being great, like Jesus, in the way that we serve others. So uh, serving is a way for us to be like Christ. And as we heard those words that Sam read, we hear that the disciples were certainly challenged I want to lead you into thinking about that, reminding you of the disciples and their disputes among themselves. Uh, We're going to look then at the example of Jesus, who who, who we're going after as we live Christ-centered lives, that this is, is, if, if you look to the cross, we just sang that, right? When I surveyed the cross, this is an example of Jesus' service, the ultimate example of his service to us. When I survey the cross and I look at what he did for me, how can I not consider his words as far as living out faith for him? right? If, you're, if you have submitted to the cross and you're washed by the blood of Jesus poured out for you, I'm going to consider living in his kingdom and his principles. So I'm going to look to his example of being a service. But you know, then there's challenges for us because we're not, we're not exactly Christ-like yet in everything. There's challenges to our service here, but there's also blessings. This all leads into us then practicing this uh, through feet washing and and then sharing together the body and the blood of Christ, serving a way to be like Christ. When Jesus introduced his disciples to a new kingdom, I believe that they tried to envision themselves in that kingdom. He says, listen, I'm the new king. I came to to bring you into a new thing. But they didn't get it at times. In fact, I labeled this point the disputing disciples because they wanted to be the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Any parent, anyone in charge of people that have taken kids in a car for a long ride have heard them disputing in the back, right? Yeah? Uh, or if you've been around people, we have a tendency to want to dispute. We're, not like, we're like the disciples like this. They knew the king. He had chosen them to be his followers. And they began to envision themselves holding certain positions in that kingdom. That was not wrong thinking. If you keep reading this passage down in Luke uh, 22:30. Jesus says, you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. That's good news. They're there. They're around the table, right? But he also says, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So they know they were going to have positions of authority. It was not in the attitude of looking ahead to the kingdom that was 
what needed corrected. It was in their attitude that desired to be recognized as better than the rest. That was what needed to be corrected. It's puzzling to me. But also, I think it adds to the authenticity of Scripture actually portraying what happened. Because if they were simply trying to elevate themselves, they wouldn't write down that the disciples were disputing as they sat around the Last Supper, right? They wouldn't put these things in which deface the characters of the disciples. But we see it in different parts of Scripture. In Mark 9, 33 to 37, Jesus and the disciples were walking on the road to Capernaum, a, a city by the Sea of Galilee. And as they got there, Jesus what were you guys arguing about back there? Right? What, were you, what, what was going on? You, and just like your kids in the back seat or the people that you're coaching, like, they didn't answer. Kind of played dumb, right? Yeah. But he knew. He says they were arguing about who was the greatest. Right? We also read this in Matthew 20, 20 to 28. Similar account to this, but there's different details here, which indicates that this is another dispute thing. In fact, we have a mom getting involved here. We have a mom saying, listen, I want my boys, Jesus. She bowed before him. Would you give, would you grant that my boys can sit at your right and at your left, right? Would you give them the greatest seats of authority? And Jesus says, those are not mine to give. So the other disciples were kind of ticked at them because of that. I wonder if they kind of wrestled or, you know, yeah. noogied each other or did some of that stuff. Like, what are you doing? What makes you think you're so special? Jesus says, the kings of the Gentiles. How do you think the disciples felt when Jesus described their behavior by pointing to the kings of the Gentiles? That would have meant for them, like the Romans that were in charge. Listen, you're acting like these Romans who are in charge of these people. I think that probably, probably, probably bristled when they heard that phrase. Oh, I mean, you're going to teach me, but you have to use them to teach me. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. It's good for us to have this authority over you. I'm superior to you. You just do this lowly stuff, right? It's good. I, I'm in the highest authority. I want you not to miss the context of this dispute. This dispute was disciples, a close group, people that knew each other. In one sense, it's a homogeneous group. The men that were there, the followers of Jesus. As we think application and understand of this teaching, I want you to work in close circles of your life. Start close. How does this apply at home? How does it apply to people that I work with, uh, my family? How does it work with the people that I'm here with the church together, this family? Because we could extrapolate this, and I think there's some truth that we shouldn't think that uh, uh, as far as like this gender is superior to this gender, right? Males are far superior to females. We shouldn't think that, right? Or females are far superior to males. Uh, or in, in cultural backgrounds that one cultures, those are all true to Scripture, but this is not necessarily what this context is talking about. So start near in your application to this, because most of us have experienced some type of hierarchy of authority in our lives, whether it's in work, in sports, any organization has a variety of different service levels or a variety of skill and qualifications. Some of you are currently at the experienced or skilled end of the spectrum, while others are at a different level. 
Even our children and youth will progress through this. Some of our children are at the younger stage of children's ministry. Older kids might be putting some whooping on the younger kids. I don't know. That's my toy. Get your hands off of it. Some of our youth are at the higher levels of the youth spectrum. Hey, that's a job for the young youth. This is the initiation rights into the youth program. Some of us are in the role of authority as parent or coach or teacher, supervisor, manager, maybe even deacon, board member, pastor. The thing that brings us together is that we are disciples of Jesus hearing this teaching. Luke 22, 24 to 27, Jesus, Luke shares this account in the context of the Last Supper. So imagine them sitting around the table. Jesus is initiating. This is my body that's going to be broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And then they start fighting among themselves. Maybe they heard Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And maybe they thought, certainly not me. It's not me. Remember that, remember that guy that, that God used me to heal over there, right? Remember him, right? I, I know three of those guys didn't do that, so they're probably one of the ones. This is the context by which Jesus is telling this. Very clearly in this line, he says, but you are not to be like that. You're not to be considering yourself greater than others. The tendency for us at times is to easily look at others and have a, 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 a judgmental effect on, on them and thinking that maybe our idea, our concept, our way is, is better and right. Jesus says, you're not to be like that. So what are we supposed to be like? Jesus says very clearly in the second point, as we observe Jesus, he says, I am a servant. I am among you as one who serves. So, and this is the case where we, when we wrestle with kingdom principles, we just say, you know, what the, how did Jesus live this out? How do we do that? And it's great that we have recordings of his life to help teach us this. If we look at the spectrum, just consider the spectrum of Jesus's service today. One of the things that we're going to hear read uh, from Brother Sam later is that Jesus stooped to do the task of the lowest servant of a home. He washed the feet of the guests. So what's the cultural appropriate of that for us now? What's the dirtiest job in your home? No one likes to do it, right? What's the, uh, that's, mm, clean the bathroom, right? Maybe that's pretty, that's pretty disgusting if you've done that. Uh, the tenants would be dirtier even if we have more males in the house. The more males you have, the dirtier your bathroom is. Maybe not across the board, but generally speaking. Oh, scrub the bathroom, right? That's, that's dirty. That's, uh, or whose job is it to unclog the clogged toilet and to get into that pipe that's, that's cleaned? And Oh, what a messy, dirty job that is. Your, your, bat, your, your basement is backed up because your sewer line is clogged. You've got to get in there and do... Oh, yuck. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Part of the spectrum of his, of his service. Jesus healed the sick. He touched people no one else would touch. He fed the hungry. Jesus ate with tax collectors. He interacted with outcasts. That's, that's some stuff that's pretty unique about his service. 
But on the other end of the spectrum, Jesus continues, as we talked about last week, he continues to serve as high priest eternally for us. That's a pretty, that's a pretty selective rule. The only one is doing that. He taught with authority and creativity. Colossians 1, 1.16 says, For by him all things were created. Jesus is the creator. Wow, what a servant this is. Look at this spectrum. It's incredible. Jesus taught the kingdom of heaven principles with his words, but as just as importantly with his life. You might be the only example of what Christ looks like in your actions this week to someone who's never heard or seen Christ in action. What does it look like to be a Christ follower? In those stories I told you about the disciples arguing, he taught them in, in Mark on the road to, to Capernaum. He says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. This is how you're great. In the Matthew account, James and John's mom was begging for them to have the seat of authority. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And in this account, Luke twenty two twenty six, he says, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. That's the goal. That's the goal. There'll be opportunities for you week to consider this goal and play it out. Maybe even today. Maybe even today. It's there. Things. Uh, all kinds of ways that you can apply this. There are some challenges to this. Following Jesus in this, there are some challenges. And I don't probably have all the challenges, and I won't speak long about them, but I want you to think about these challenges. The first is the attitude by which you will serve, right? How many of you have served somewhere in, at Coventry uh, in the last year, serve somewhere. And this is almost all of you. So I want to thank you for doing that. We have so many servants that sometimes when I just see the collection of people doing things, I'm like, wow, that's really good. That is good. Thank you, Lord, for raising up servants. It's part of, I think, the, the, the DNA of the church of the brethren where we like to serve. We're pretty good at serve. We'll go into disaster relief and do some service and things like that. But there, and I'm the first will confess that sometimes I need an attitude adjustment when I begin to serve. I might say, why isn't anyone else seeing that this table needs to be put away? I mean, there are people over there still like hanging out and talking. Why doesn't anyone else jump up and do this? Hold on. All right, so here's the first challenge to doing it like Jesus did. It's our attitude. It's our attitude in which we do this. And this can apply to me just as well in the home. Doesn't anyone else see that this dishwasher is clean? It just needs put back in the... <sighs> don't look for Tracy. That's usually me that's walking by it. I mean, maybe you think that. I don't know. But it's usually me that says, oh, someone else will get that. I just, I've got important things to do over there. Oh, why? maybe it could be me. Maybe I can serve my family this way. Wouldn't it be a blessing to someone else who comes upon this if I would do this for them? That's the right attitude. But see, I got to sometimes check my attitude before I serve because I'm not doing it in the right attitude. That's the first challenge of doing it like Jesus. Why would we serve someone else? Well, to build up the recipient. 
Husbands in Ephesians 5, we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church to build her up. Hmm. Don't serve out of obligation or guilt. Sometimes the challenges for, for doing this as Jesus is, is the timing, the timing of the service, right? Sometimes we jump in there and serve where others maybe were just about to do that, and we just got ahead of them. We were over, over eager. And I say that to you because sometimes uh, the disciples were in a panic because they were on a boat, and, and they, they were concerned about what was going to happen. And they said, Jesus, wake up. We need you to do this. And like, you have little faith. Relax. Relax. Sometimes, sometimes people are so eager to serve that those who are about to just didn't get to do that. Jesus also, when feeding the masses, and he says, well, why didn't you guys, why didn't you guys feed them? And they just turned to Jesus, knowing, knowing the right timing to serve, when to serve. And sometimes the tenor of your service, the amount of service. You know that sometimes Jesus left towns and went to another one, and there were still people there that were looking for him, kind of walked away. And sometimes Jesus walked away from the crowds and just spent time by himself. Man, there's a generation that have been serving here for a lot of years. Praise be to God. You've, you've carried the baton of service. I'm grateful for that. I see that in the history of the church. And sometimes, though, there are others that say, I'm just pretty tired. Is it time for me to maybe not do everything that I was doing or step away? How do we know that? Jesus had the perfect timing. He knew exactly where. And he also prioritized. Jesus was the only one who could do certain things. He's the only one who could represent a holy sacrifice on the cross for us. No one else could do this service for us. There are some that are gifted in certain areas who feel this call to serve, but they're so tired of doing some of these things, but they can't get to the one thing that God has really gifted them to do. And they say, no, I won't do this because I see this needs done. It's the priority. This is where we understand gifts in the church. It's like uh, on a sports team. I go to sports for analogies. If you have only two guys in your team that can throw the ball more than 20 yards, right? But you have them playing in a position where they're blocking and never get their hands on the ball. You can't throw the passes there. You're limited in what you can do. Someone else can do some of that so that you can do the job that no one else can do that you're gifted to do. The thing that frees up those that are gifted in certain areas to serve in those areas are more people serving in other areas where they can serve. The outcome, the outcome is part of the challenge of following Jesus. Sometimes we serve in ways which we think are helpful, which doesn't help at all. For example, if we would just go into Addis in Ethiopia, and we would just bring a bunch of Americans in and say, we're going to serve you to the best of our ability, and we're going to be the hands and feet of this ministry right here, and we're going to take over, we're going to make sure all the kids have medical care set up, but then in five years we're pulling out and no one else can do that. We think that our service is helping in certain ways, but it's just enabling them to lean into us, and they can't carry it on once we step out. 
How do we know when to help in such ways that will truly help that person? Maybe even build a bridge out of poverty by teaching them how to work, how to get a degree, things like that. Versus just leaning into those who are just giving, giving, instead of enabling bad habits. Jesus knew perfectly how to help the person move to the next place. Those are challenges in serving like Jesus did. There's a song that, that I was taught at a Netzer meeting um, last week. The line that I want you to hear, this, I'm going to read the stanza, is, Yet not I, but, but through Christ in me. Uh, the stanza goes like this, With every breath I long to follow Jesus, for he has says that he will bring me home. And day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall, re shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Christ in us is the power to serve in the ways that he calls us to do. It's not in our own strength, um, in our own timing, but Christ in us and through the relationship of Christ with us. Following Jesus, what are the blessings of serving Jesus in this kingdom mindset? First of all, you help others. You help others overcome a need or maybe even a want. It's okay to serve if someone has a want. Like if, if, I, didn't serve, uh, if I didn't serve someone a cup of water when we sit around the table, they probably wouldn't die in our culture. They've drank a lot probably today. But I can see that their cup is empty and maybe it's a want from another one. I can serve them, right? But there are needs that we can help others with. You stop and help someone with a flat tire, Man, that person couldn't do that. You were the one that had the strength and the knowledge to do that. You just help others. Another blessing is that you build others up in doing that. Someone cared. Someone noticed. Someone stopped and served me. It builds up the other person, gives value to them. What are the blessings in following Jesus when serving the kingdom like this? In some ways, it helps us get over self. Right? We're to die to self and live for others. Do you know that's a, that's a, that's a kingdom principle of following Christ? Die to self, live for others. It's good for us to practice serving others because it takes our eyes off of ourselves. And maybe even for those who are feeling depressed about their situation in life and where they're at. Being able to serve someone else might give you, uh, man, that, that felt good to help someone else. You might experience even the joy of, of serving someone else through that. Following Jesus, the blessings, we display and we teach kingdom principles. People are watching. You're, if you're an authority and you're kind of high on the ranks, and you're willing to associate with those who are doing a, a hard, low job, right? You're getting in there. You're doing it side by side. You're teaching. I believe that those people, those servants, will work harder for their leaders than the leader who just says, you do it. Get down in there. That's why you were hired, you grunt. Hmm. But it's hard because you can't always do everything there, but you can. You can teach kingdom principles. You experience the joy of serving others. And as Galatians 5, 1 tells us in Scripture, we are to serve one another in love. 
there are some real tensions here. It's really hard for us because we, we have a definition of what it looks to be great, what it looks to be great in our culture. Jesus shakes this up in this account from Luke, who has this in the context of the Last Supper. We're going to anchor around Luke 22 this morning, different times coming back to that as we reenact the Last Supper. The application of serving like this in the kingdom of heaven will present opportunities for you. It will be there. And in doing so, I pray that God gives you the pause to know when is that? When is, when is it? How do I do it like you, Jesus? The right attitude, the right time. I pray for the outcome to be well, Lord, that they might see Christ in me as I serve the world for you. We're going um, to take our offering and worship that way. And in just a little bit, we're going to look at some applications from Scripture where Jesus served uh, in just a little while. So, Lord, uh, we pray you to apply these, these teachings to us and help us to continue to, to see you, Jesus, as our great servant this morning as we worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.